know that we have some visitors because I see some of them. We hope you'll stay around after the service that we can visit with you and get to meet and greet you. We will have Bible class after the service. And then tonight, be back with us at 6 o'clock as we continue our worship together. We are continuing to have an ongoing summer series where we will have a guest speaker. And tonight, our speaker is going to be Brother Michael Clark. Michael is here with us already this morning. Michael's never spoken to us, but his dad, B.J. Clark, has spoken here before. So um, they are both good speakers, and you'll enjoy that. And so we hope you'll join us at that time. In Acts chapter 8, Philip climbs up in the chariot with a man that the Bible identifies as the Ethiopian eunuch, and they have a Bible study. Acts chapter 8 and verse 5, the Bible says, Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning at this scripture, preached Jesus to him. Now as they went down the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? Then Philip said, If you believe with all of your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So he commanded the chariot to stand still, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. Now when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away, so that the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. Brethren, this is the phrase that I want to focus on this morning, and that is, he went on his way rejoicing. Why? Why did he go on his way rejoicing? Well, he'd obeyed the gospel. He had heard the truth. He had responded in belief and repentance and confession and baptism. He had become a Christian. He had laid hold on eternal life. He was destined for hell, but now he's going to go to heaven. Of course, he rejoiced. And many men through the years have experienced this same thing because now they are Christians and heaven is going to be their home. But then they begin to hear that they have to grow in Christ. 2 Peter 3, 18. They hear that they need to become a better Christian. They hear that they need to become perfect. And that's not what's said, but that's the way they get it in their head. And boy, if you make a mistake, that is a terrible thing. And so they become apprehensive. They become worried. And many once confident Christians now become afraid and deeply concerned about their eternal destiny. And they lose that confidence they had on the day when they first rejoiced. And the day of judgment is now something that they're frightened about because they just don't know. I don't know if I'm ready. And some people have come to think that it is somehow wrong to have confidence in your salvation. And they will go to passages like 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 12 to try to support this idea where the Bible says, Wherefore let him that thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. And yet, 1 John chapter 5 and verse 13, John said, These things I have written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. Brethren, we can't have 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 12 contradict 1 John 5 and verse 13. In fact, when 1 Corinthians 10 12 says, if you think you stand, what he is saying is, if you think you stand alone, 
That is, if you think you stand without God, then you're going to fall. And that's the way the Israelites were thinking, and that's what's said of them being in the wilderness. It is not teaching that we can't have confidence in our salvation. But you see, some Christians have begun to think this way. They think that they've got to be perfect, and so they have lost the confidence of their salvation. The confidence that they once had is now just a little more than the chance of going to, to heaven. And some Christians are walking around saying things like, you know, I'm worried, I'm just worried that I'm not good enough. You know what? You're not good enough. Friends, none of us will ever be good enough to go to heaven. That's where the blood of Christ comes in. There is not one single person upon the face of this earth who will ever be good enough to go to heaven. But you know what? Still the Bible teaches that we should have confidence about our salvation. You know, the Apostle Paul was confident about his eternity. 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 7, he said, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, and not for me only, but also to all those who love his appearing. Philippians 1 and verse 21, he said, For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Paul was confident about his salvation. In fact, I believe that the major thrust of the book of 1 John is to give Christians confidence about their salvation. And so in 1 John chapter 1 and verse 7, he says, if we walk in the light as he, Christ, is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and we have the continual cleansing of the blood of Jesus Christ. We are continually cleansed. If we keep walking in the light, we remain in a state of salvation in the eyes of God. Now, does that mean that we will never sin? No, it doesn't mean that. That's why he says in the next verse, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And so we're going to sin. But if we keep walking in the light, we remain clean in the eyes of God. And so, in chapter 4 and verse 17, he tells Christians that we should have boldness about the day of judgment. Some versions say confidence about the day of judgment. In other words, I shouldn't be worried about it. God doesn't want His children to live that way. 2 Peter 3 and verse 12 teaches the child of God that we should be, now listen to this, looking for and earnestly desiring the coming of the day of the Lord. I'm not worried about it. I'm looking for it. I'm earnestly desiring. In other words, I'm looking forward to the day of judgment. And then in chapter 5 and verse 13, my favorite verse in all of the Bible, John says, These things I have written unto you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. Now, ladies and gentlemen, with all of these things in mind, I want to talk about something this morning that has troubled many Christians and has caused them to doubt their salvation, and that is this question. Why then are we to be growing as Christians? Why are we supposed to be growing as Christians? Now, we're going to begin with the Scripture reading from this morning, 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 18, and we're going to launch our study from this passage. Peter ends this epistle with these words, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This man, Peter, was interested in something about 
our growth. In fact, he wrote in the first epistle, 1 Peter 2 and verse 2, desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. Two commands, two different letters, both he tells us to grow. Things that don't grow die, don't they? But the question is, why am I supposed to be growing? Friends, I think that many Christians have the idea that they have to grow to a certain state of perfection or they're not going to make it to heaven. That they are trying to reach a certain mark that they will be good enough that God will let them in. You know, if that were the case, then I would be working my way to heaven. Sometimes people accuse us of that in the Lord's church. You think you've got to earn your way. You think you've got to work your way to heaven. The Bible doesn't teach that, but if this is what I believe, then I would be in error. So why do I need to grow as a Christian? I'm going to do two things this morning. First, I'm going to give you six negatives that are not connected to why I need to grow as a Christian and then we're going to look at the reason why we should grow as Christians. Here is point number one. Now listen very carefully to this. Growing in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, growing as a Christian, is not necessarily connected to the fact of my salvation. Now somebody says, what did you just say? I want to ask you a question. Don't answer out loud, just think in your mind. Are you a Christian? Got an answer? When you came up out of the watery grave of, bab of a baptism, were you a Christian? You say, yes. Now you think you have to become a better Christian? You want to tell me what that means? What is it to be a better Christian? Now, I want you to think seriously about this this morning. What do we mean when we say you want to be better than a Christian? Brethren, when I came out of the watery grave of baptism, you know what the Bible says about me? Look at this. Say, uh, Colossians chapter 2 and verse 10, the Bible says, and you are complete in Him. It doesn't say becoming complete. It doesn't say trying to grow to the point that I'm complete. You know, the idea of becoming progressively more complete is a false doctrine called Wesleyan sanctification, and it is not taught in the Bible. Brethren, when you were baptized into Christ, you were complete in Him, and you can't be any more complete than complete. Do you think the fellow who come, just comes out of the baptistry goes to a different heaven than the man who's been in the church for 35 years? But you know, sometimes people will say, if I can just get a back seat in heaven, I'll be all right. My friends, there are no back seats in heaven. They're all mansions. You don't jump through the door and think, wow, I just made it. Either you're a Christian or you're not. Here's a second passage. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 17. Now, see this growing thing is not necessarily connected to whether I'm a Christian or not. It doesn't make me a better Christian. Listen what it says. Let's read it. He says, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. He doesn't say you're becoming a new creature. You hope that one day you'll be a new creature. He is a new creature. When you came out of the grave of baptism, you were baptized into Christ. You are a new creature. You are complete in Jesus Christ. Now, we're not saying that you can't fall from grace because any man can throw his hands up and walk away and say, I'm done with this. We're not saying that a man can go to heaven if he refuses to grow, because if you refuse the commandments of God, you have ceased to walk in the light. But what we're saying is this, it is not growth that enables me to go to heaven. It's not that God has set the bar at this height, and if I can grow to that height, then I'm going to go to heaven. 
That's not right. Number two, growing in grace is not necessarily connected to the love of God. Now, think about this. Growing in grace and knowledge, growing as a Christian, is not necessarily connected to the love of God. I heard an older preacher say that he was in the grocery store one day, and he said he heard a mother say to her little child, Honey, if you will be good, I will love you. Can you believe that? What was she thinking? I mean, if he's not good, is she not going to love him? Do we think that about God's love? Are we growing in grace so that God will love us more? You know, there's a religion in the world that teaches that, that you work harder to get more of God's love, but the Bible doesn't teach that. Listen to this passage, Romans chapter 5 and verse 6. See if you get out of this that the more you grow, the more God's going to love you. For when we were still without strength and due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates His own love toward us and that, listen, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Brethren, the Bible says right here, before I became a Christian, God loved me to the ultimate, to the max. God loved me as much as He ever was going to love me. While I was a sinner, He sent His Son to die. He showed the greatest love that He could ever show for me in that act. And so, growing in grace and knowledge, which I'm commanded to do, is not necessarily connected to God's love because God loves me no matter what. The sad thing is, if I reject that love, then there is a place of punishment for me. And so, I'm not growing as a Christian in order to get God's love. God already loves me. Now, somebody says, I know what it is. I know why we are to grow in grace and knowledge of Christ. I know why we're to grow as a Christian, and it is because we are supposed to be busy in Christ. Here's number three. Growing in grace and knowledge, growing as a Christian, is not necessarily connected to busyness. Prince, you know, some of the busiest people you read about in the Bible are not faithful. In fact, they're hypocrites. If you read in Matthew chapter 6, you read about some of the Jews of Jesus' time. They're busy. In fact, they're out giving alms and they're blowing trumpets and saying, look how we're helping people. They're out praying and they're sounding the trumpet to say, look, we're praying. Look at all of the things that we're doing. They were very busy, but they weren't right with God. I knew of a congregation years ago where... When the morning worship was going on, if they were going to have a fellowship meal that day, the women of the congregation would be in the kitchen preparing the meal. Now, they were busy, but they weren't pleasing the Lord. You know, there's more than one way to forsake the assembly other than just staying home. They were busy, but that didn't mean they were right. Being busy doesn't necessarily mean that I'm pleasing God. Somebody says, well, you know, I memorized 585 scriptures this year but what are you doing with them? Number four, growing, now you got to listen carefully to this one, growing in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is not necessarily connected to knowledge. Let me illustrate this. Back in the late 1800s, there was a man named Nietzsche. Nietzsche was an atheist. He was very antagonistic to Christianity. 
And on one occasion, there was a denominational preacher who challenged Nietzsche to a, a public debate on the existence of God. And so they wrote letters, they corresponded back and forth. And so finally, Nietzsche, who knew the Bible, wrote to this denominational preacher, and he said, Sir, do you believe and teach that baptism is for the remission of sins, as is written in Acts 2.38? And this denominational preacher wrote back and said that he did not believe that. Nietzsche wrote back to him and said, Sir, you don't believe the Bible any more than I do, so why do you want to debate it? Now, the point is this, Nietzsche knew the Bible. Nietzsche knew a lot of Scripture. He had the knowledge, but he didn't do anything with it. Ladies and gentlemen, a man could memorize from Genesis 1-1 to Revelation 22 and not go to heaven because it's not the knowledge, it's not what I know, it's what I do with it that counts. Now, I'm not putting this down, but, but some congregations announce in their bulletin what they call Bible readers. You know, I know why they do it. They're encouraging people to read the Bible, but what's the rest of the congregation doing? I mean, we've got Christians who are not reading their Bible? Surely that is happening. Let me show you another thing. Sometimes people think that growing in grace and knowledge is connected to success in this life. In fact, there is a whole religion that is based on this. It's called the Name It, Claim It religion. You can go home and turn on your TV tonight and you can watch the Trinity Broadcasting Network, and you will hear people saying that if you name it, you can claim it. If you're not a rich person, the problem is that you're not a very good Christian. And so there are some people who come into the Church of Christ, and they think this is going to make them successful in life. I'll grow in grace and knowledge so that I can get ahead. Here's the next point. Growing in grace and knowledge, growing as a Christian, is not connected to success in this life. Let's read the Scripture together. 2 Timothy 3 and verse 12. All that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Brethren, I don't see any success in that verse. Not, not in the sense that the world teaches it. There are Christians who lose their faith sometimes because bad things happen to them in life. They lose their job, their wife dies, a child dies, they have some terrible accident, and they think, well, I've done all of this work for the Lord, and look how I got paid. Friends, the Bible says there has no trial taken you but such as is common to man. You're not going to suffer anything in life except the, the, the same things that everybody else in the world suffers. Here's the next one. Growing in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Growing as a Christian is not necessarily connected to my attendance. I heard an illustration, an old illustration. It says, two men went into the church building with machine guns. And the worship service was taking place and they fired the machine gun up in the air and they told the people there, if you will stand for Christ, you're going to be murdered. Anybody else who wants to leave, who doesn't want to stand for Christ, you're free to go right now. And about half of the people got up and left. After they left, the men laid their machine guns down and said, well, now that we've gotten rid of the hypocrites, we can worship. Now, we're not saying that attendance is not required because certainly it is, Hebrews 10.25 but the point is you can't measure your spirituality just by attendance. Sometimes I'm afraid we do that. But here's the question. Somebody says, I don't understand. If I don't have to grow to reach a certain level, 
If God hasn't told me to grow so that I can go to heaven, then why am I supposed to grow as a Christian? What's the reason for this? I became a Christian when I was baptized. Why did the Bible then tell me to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? Friends, it is so simple that it will change the whole way you think about yourself as a Christian when you see this answer. Why am I supposed to be growing? Here's the first one. It's our scripture reading today. 2 Peter 3 and verse 18. The Bible says, But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Listen now. To Him be the glory both now and forever. He says, Grow to God be the glory. Here's the second one. Matthew 5, 16. Jesus said, You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is good for nothing but to be cast out and trodden under the foot of men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but under a lamp, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all those that are in the house. Now listen to this, Matthew 5, 16. Let your light so shine before men. Let your light shine before men that they may see your good works. For what reason? that they may glorify your Father in heaven. Grow in the grace. Glory be to God. Let them see your good works so that they will glorify your Father in heaven. Friends, why are we on this earth in the first place? What is our purpose? Why did God create us? Revelation 4.11 says, Everything was created for God's good pleasure. Think about this. Grow to God be the glory. Your good works so they can glorify God. We were created for God's glory. Listen to this, the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah 43 and verse 20. The beast of the field, they will honor me. The jackals and the ostriches. When God made the animals, the reason was they were going to give him glory. Verse 21 says, This people I have formed for myself, they shall declare my praise. Friends, I don't grow in grace and knowledge to make myself deserving of heaven. I grow to be a better person to give my Father glory. Listen to Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah has a vision, and oh, what a vision it is. It's a vision of God. Isaiah says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And above his throne stood seraphim. Those are angels. Each one had six wings. With two, he covered his face. That's because he's too holy to look upon the throne of God. And with two, he covered his feet, too holy to stand there also. And with two, he flew. And what were they doing? One cried to the other, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled, listen what the Bible says, with His glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of Him that cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. So I said to myself, Isaiah, Woe is to me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of people with unclean lips." For my eyes have seen the King. My friend, when you catch a glimpse of why you're here and what the glory of God is, everything around you 
becomes evil. When Isaiah saw the glory of God, he said, I am a man of unclean lips. I am of a people of unclean lips. Friends, there isn't anything you desire anymore when you start giving your Father glory. This morning, why are you here to worship? Why do we do personal work? Why do we give? Why do we study the Bible? Why do we pray? Do you even know why we're here to begin with? It is all to give God the glory. Isaiah 42 and verse 8, I am Jehovah, and my glory I will not give to another. Friends, I'm not allowed to love my wife more than I love my Savior. I'm not allowed to love my mother more than I love my Savior. I'm not allowed to love anything more than I love Him. They will see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. The question this morning is this. Are you living your life so as to glorify the Father? It all starts with humbling yourself in obedience to Him and obeying the gospel by hearing, believing, repenting, confessing, and being baptized. At that point, you're washed in the blood of Jesus. You're added to His church. You're one of His children. And you begin to grow and live a life so as to glorify God. Maybe this morning you want to do that. Maybe you're here today, and as a Christian, you've been living in a sinful way. You've stopped walking in the light. Your life has not been bringing glory. In fact, maybe it's been bringing reproach to the church, which is the body of Christ. If that's the case this morning, maybe you need to come forward, make a public repentance, and ask for the prayers of your brethren on your behalf, and we would count it a great honor if we could go to God and pray for you today. This morning, if you need to respond to the Lord's invitation, won't you come as together we stand and sing the invitation song.